sometimes a little more my bloody podcast <laughs> oh and hello everyone we are so happy you can join us today on my bloody podcast episode number 46 i can't believe it's episode 46 i'm brian kluger and this is my bloody podcast on itunes stitcher radio google play where we talk about all things horror and today we have a very very special guest the legendary the legendary filmmaker uh in the texas area owen edgerton who is just uh he he is a maestro of horror these days he's directed <laughs> movies such as bloodfest follow in the recent recent great film called mercy black which is on netflix right now oh my gourd and of course we have our co-host with the most who's been buried brought back reanimated killed over and again and each time he comes back he's just better smelling preston barton my man how are you I'm good. Is that just going to be my title for now on after our pet cemetery talk? I just know that you love pet cemetery so much that I think it, until you love something else that much, we're going with it. Okay. Well, reanimator's coming up, so I get. Well, it, you introduced that into the title too, so I guess we're good. <laughs> there you go. And Owen, thanks for being on my bloody podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm already excited. Sweet, <laughs> sweet, sweet deal. Yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about some horror movies today. We have bloody recommendations and bloody questions. And, of course, Owen Edgerton is uh, is here today. And uh, we, I've, I've got to ask, Owen, you, you know, you've been in the horror genre for quite a while. My, my first question for you is, what, what do you think the current state of horror is? in today's world is and like how uh, much do you love it yeah so you know it's funny because I, uh, I made a movie uh, that came out last year called Bloodfest, and in it you know i play this uh this this uh, i play a horror producer who's kind of like a a little bit of a willy wonka of horror and you know has this big festival where a lot of people die and uh and i start one of my big lines is horror is dead and i start just sort of railing on horror becoming cheap and old people are like do you really think that i was like oh my god no i think i think we're like in an amazing era of horror like it's it's amazing i someone i you know i sometimes see someone online saying like well i can't be in a good horror movie I'm like dude throw a rock you're gonna hit a great horror movie they are making them all the time and it's just so exciting actually it's uh i love what's happening in horror uh, it's, it's just like a, it's, it's a, it's a wild time and people are doing all kinds of stuff. Like there, there are definitely people who are kind of uh, delving into nostalgia, uh, quoting other films within their films, whether it's stylistically, uh, like, you know, summer of 84 or more subtly, like what Jordan Peele's doing and some of his stuff. It's just really cool. And then there are people who are doing stuff that's I've never seen on the screen before, where there's like the remake of Suspiria or something else, like Hereditary, like just crazy good stuff is happening. And again and again, I'm I'm finding these films that have me, you know, clutching the 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 seat and uh, afraid to move. Uh, and that that's pretty pretty wonderful to still being thrilled and terrified by uh, images on the screen. No, yeah, I 
I agree with that. Like, there's just you, you. You said it perfectly. Throw a rock and you'll find a good horror movie. In these days, yes, you will because there's so much out there, and people are doing them so well right now. I think really are. They really yeah, are. yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. I mean, you know, this this is very good, but uh, there was a period of time in the in the sort of 1980s where there was such a like oh uh, we had such a hunger for horror movies and and there was you know video stores were just opening up so there was this avenue for for lower budget movies to find their audiences uh, that that we were you know pouring out these films uh, and some of them just ba- ba- you know barely had a concept behind it. it was like I know there's a guy and he has this knife and he kills 17 people and and that would be enough you're like yeah sure that film gets made and you know it's a hit and even now we probably call it a classic you know um but right now there's there's this new thing of like you you're, you better be really good like actually good's not good enough uh that that there's this constant drive like I, for me personally like i've got to keep getting better because all these folks making movies are just they're just killing it so uh, that's really exciting. Like the, the, it's really exciting that both audiences and filmmakers are are demanding that uh, horror films be better and smarter and or, or better maybe is the wrong word, but uh, are taking the new risks that are appropriate for now. In the same way that you know other horror movies in the seventies were taking the risks that were right for then, and the ones in the thirties were doing what was right for then. But uh, these days, audiences are eating up. Movies that are taking chances, that are showing them things that are questioning what the world is right now. It's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, making it making it more active with the audience versus something that's just like a you know a dead teenager fest or something like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's yeah the the idea that there's uh, like uh, on a daily basis there's think pieces, maybe more think pieces about you know tr- tr- genre movies, horror movies. Uh, than there are necessarily about what the latest uh, Academy Award winning film. Um, there's right. something wild about that. Uh, you know, a couple of think pieces popped up pretty early on about Mercy Black. I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's cool that that um, that these days horror movies are are. Not these days. Again, horror movies are, at, at the best have always been doing this, sparking conversations, uh, having people discuss things that are uncomfortable uh to discuss everything from race to uh the range of science to you know humanity's place in the universe all those kind of weird and wild personal and existential issues that's great that we're discussing it and also chomping on popcorn giggling and screaming at the same time right so so a lot of questions are kind of coming up uh based off of everything that you said but i i want to because I I'm very eager to get into our a little bit of a discussion about Mercy Black, but I, I kind of want to start uh, more general, figure out where your love for the horror genre kind of stemmed from, and also like some of those films that maybe provided some structure for the kind of films that you make today. Ooh, yeah. Let's see. Well, I mean, I started loving horror movies as a kid. Uh, you know, I I remember my parents watching The Shining when it played on TV, and uh, for some reason, they let me in the room to watch it with them. And, you know, I remember my dad trying to convince me it's not that scary. Really, only one person <laughs> dies. And he was kind of old. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I remember late at night catching uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead, black and white on TV and being aware I shouldn't be watching this. 
this is a little too real and a little too honest and a little, a little too thrilling. Um, th- that sort of thrill started it. And then just growing up in the 70s and 80s, I, I was into those uh, Halloween movies, the, the Friday the 13th movies, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. These were the movies I was getting excited about. And I totally loved going to the local video store. You know, as a, as a kid, we had a local video store. And even more than renting them, maybe before I was even allowed to rent them, I just remember going from tape box to tape box and reading the back, uh, looking at the art and sort of imagining, like, what the hell is happening at the chopping mall? What's going on there? Uh, and just being just super excited. Those those were the movies that, that really sparked my imagination. Um, I don't know. There's something... There's something kind of thrilling and fun when when a movie is is really honest about mortality and uh, and and facing the things that scare you, but doing it with this uh, grin uh, the whole time as well. There's there's kind of a a, a wonderful gallows humor to horror movies, um, even when the, no, I don't mean just horror comedies. I mean just horror movies overall. Uh, that that really worked for me. There's something kind of honest and life affirming in a way. Right. That's it. Go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was gonna turn it over to you, man. Oh no, no. I I love. I, I just. I feel the same way. Um. And I also are there are there any particular scenes from horror movies that have always stuck out toward to you like back then that have influenced you today that like oh, oh totally yeah there's a bunch you know I, like I, I, didn't, I didn't go to film school um but watching kids you know movies as a kid and then i worked i worked with the alamo draft house a lot and, uh used to i still do uh mock movies we do you know like a mystery science theater 3000 kind of show called the scientist show a master pancake okay. so i watched a bunch of movies but even better was like i would for this case i would stay behind and watch the uh the Weird Wednesday and the Terror Thursday and the programmers would show these ace films that I'd, I'd never heard of before. But when you like those particular scenes that really grabbed me, I mean, there's a couple of classics, for example. I remember the first time seeing the shower scene from Psycho, and I am still, I'm still terrified of that scene. That's so well done that knowing everything I know about it, reading books about that scene, I'm still terrified when I see it. Um, I also remember talking about Night of the Living Dead the scene with the girl, the daughter in the basement, the sickly daughter um, wakes up and, and kills her mother with a garden tool, um, which is, I think one of the few times in Romero movies where a zombie uses a weapon, I guess Bub uses a gun, tries to anyway, uh, that scene, I remember just that, that scared me more than anything else in that film. And it's all done in shadow. And it's it's done when paranoia has led you so far within yourself that you've put yourself in a place of death. Um, and, and that was terrifying. And then there's a few scenes out of a, a sort of personal favorite of mine, Halloween 4. <laughs> yes. Oh, we love that film. Yes. Oh, good. I love <laughs> Halloween 4. Um, so uh, th- there's just moments out of Halloween 4 that sometimes I – Sometimes I, I realize when I'm I'm planning out shots for something, I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing something again from Halloween four. Let's let's just step back and make sure I'm I'm not constantly trying to remake Halloween four. Uh, <laughs> but there's just shots and surprises uh, that that continually come back to me from that film. Yeah, yeah we we yeah we love that film. We uh, for the Halloween episode that we did, we focused entirely on that film just because it's it's a it's a very underrated one. I know. Uh, 
I listened to Junk Food Cinema and I, I, I heard your episode uh, of doing Alien, but we listened to Brian and all the time and uh, just them, they did a special on that episode and I, I'm glad that there's more people out there that are kind of uh, back in that film because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a special one. really like that. Yeah, film. man. I tell you, I, you know, I've, uh, I've got a signed poster uh, from, from, uh, from the writer Alan McRoy, right on my wall right here. Um, for years, <laughs> I used to do an annual screening of it at the Alamo Draft House. We, the Alamo bought a 35 millimeter print, and we would show it each year. I haven't done that in a while. Maybe by the time we return to that, uh, just like listen, watch this movie, see how good, see how fun it is. Um, yeah, it's it's a great one. I'm oh, I'm glad to hear you guys are fans of that one too. Yeah, I have that poster on my wall too. Ghoulish Gary. Uh, who does stuff with Mondo. Uh, he created this drive, really, really immaculate drive-in poster that has the original Halloween with like a slash through it and that it has oh. Halloween 4. So that one oh. uh, featured very prominently in my house. And That's I so cool. can only have one uh, horror poster up in our house because of uh, my wife, like she doesn't want too many scary stuff around our ch- uh, around my son, so that's the one that I have featured. In my- <laughs> <laughs> our house, I mean, uh, you know, I've been I've been writing in film and uh, uh, and uh, for a long time, I suppose. But I've 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 only started directing my first. I started directing my first one four years ago. But yeah. since then, our house has become like I'm walking around my living room now, and my kids keep showing up in my films. They're they're. Uh, willing, willing to to do stuff, but I've got like, you know, we've got Mercy Black props hanging up um, for, from the the wall. Um, we've got a table that the folks at Rooster Teeth made me that is a, a, a clear glass spattered in blood, splattered in blood, and underneath is sort of instead of uh, columns, there's like a bat covered in barbed wire, a bloody axe, a machete, just all kind of slasher tools. So, I. I'm probably giving my kids, I don't know, uh, either a terrifying or, or very uh, broad upbringing. It's hard, it's hard to say. <laughs> do, you, do you have the capacity to be scared of your own films? Um, I do, actually. Uh, you know, funny enough, uh, I, I mean, I, I, it's funny. Uh, writing is, uh, is, is its own thing. And you, you get into um, a rhythm and you, you find yourself scared by images sort of pop into your head as you're putting them down. But when you see actors who are bringing in their own experience and their their own knowledge, and then you see the work of a cinematographer and it's all edited together, it's wild. It's almost a little bit like you see a movie in your head, you chop it into different pieces, and then you start filming it. And then there's a day when after you've finished filming and it's been like three weeks since the camera stopped and you say goodbye to all of these people, and your editor shows you their first run through it. So the editor's sort of take on it, an assembly. And I remember from Mercy Black seeing that first one, and I was like, oh, gosh, there was like a particular moment where I was like, that is just chilling. Um, you know, I have a hard time seeing bad things happen to kids. Yeah. And, and I knew I'd written it and filmed it, but it was still kind of shocking to see. Um, and, and, then, and that's a credit to uh, my editor, Sean McQueenie, there and, and folks I was working with. Yeah. How do you know? knows all about uh, kids uh, in film being hurt or something like that. It's uh... Uh, <laughs> is it an obsession of yours? No, like it, it affects them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a um, the movie that I watched right after the birth of my son was Mother, and oh. I've 
and I've uh, brought that up a couple times on this podcast because I uh, that's the <laughs> first movie that I can remember walking out of in a long time during the crucial part. If you've seen the movie, mm-hmm. you might know what I'm talking about. But I've grown an appreciation for the film after the fact. But man, it was after having uh, children. It's just amazing, like how much your perception of film kind of change, uh, even as your children get older, like I'm starting to watch, you know, movies where uh, toddlers are starting to get hurt in films and it's affecting me in a different way. So, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you suddenly got all your nerves on the outside of your body. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's scary. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, uh, I asked this to the directors of the New Pet Cemetery, and I, I, I'm curious to know uh, what your thoughts are on it. But how do you know uh, a scene of horror is really clicking and working, whether it is something that's uh, like a jump scare or something that may be more of like an emotional horror moment. Hmm. You mean before you edit it or as you're putting like, it like when you're on set and trying and, and you're capturing it, how do you know that it's actually going to work and maybe scare people? Man, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think it's kind of hard to tell uh, in, in some ways. Um, but I, 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 what I mean is there are times when you're filming all the different pieces uh, and it's like it's like you're filming different pieces of the engine, but you haven't put them together yet. Um, you'll do yeah. that later on. Um, and there's definitely moments where later on it's like, oh, that works completely. It's completely effective on the screen. But while we were doing it, we, were, we didn't know it was going to be that effective. But then there are times when uh, an image strikes you. Um, uh, and, and sometimes it's a startling image. Sometimes it's just an uncanny image. And you just know as you're watching it being filmed that, that, that the chill goes through everyone there. And, and that's, going to, that's going to translate to the screen that it's there. I think you can also see it in an actor's face. There's, a, I think, a tremendous amount when an actor um, shows their terror. An actor can like c- communicate uh, that they're terrified. Uh, th- then it's hard not to be terrified. <laughs> it's hard not to be scared for someone who is so clearly and uh, authentically uh, terrified. Um, that that really works uh, real well. And then every now and then, you know, there's a surprise thing that happens, a shock, something crashes, and when when everyone jumps a little bit. When you have to like do it again because the camera maybe shook a little bit, you, you know you got something good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like that's illustrated very well in your film because you spend quite a bit of time, uh, you know, developing your characters, putting flesh on their bones. Like I, I found myself very much relating to Marina in Mercy Black and the relationship that she has with Alice, and so it that impact comes when you have a jump scare. Or if you have something that's truly horrific, having that sort of emotional horror moment, it comes through because you take that time to kind of spend uh, with the characters and uh, making sure that the stakes are there. So when, yeah, the the horror hits, it's there. Yeah. No, I think you're saying something there like it it has to mean something to the character. Yeah. If if it doesn't if it doesn't mean something to the the person on screen um, on an emotional level. Yeah. Then, then don't expect it to mean anything to the people yeah. in the crowd. Yeah, if they believe it, we'll believe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's let's get into uh, Mercy Black a little bit because um, I uh, 
I got onto this film because, you know, I'm a big Noah Segan fan after, you know, being invested in Ryan Johnson's work with Brick. Yes. Looper. And so that got me to uh, follow. And then uh, I saw uh, Bloodfest, I believe, is it, I believe is at South by Southwest. I yes. It was one of the Midnight Films. Yep. It's all out there. And so uh, I was very excited about Mercy Black because I'm also a big fan of Lee Eddy and making Blair. Oh, yeah. And so anytime they do something, I got to see it. And so this was just like a uh, a snowball of all these different talents that I really like just kind of coming together. And, and it, it, it entirely works. It reminds me, I was tell, I talked to uh, Lee Eddy uh, last week um, because I found her character in this film to be extremely fascinating. And I'm not going to spoil uh, where it goes with her, but I found myself relating to her or... Um, she reminded me a lot of the teachers that I had in elementary school who was just very cool and would, uh, if I'm curious about something, they'll be like, let's go look it up. Let's go find out what it is. Yeah. So I just found myself just relating to it in so many different ways. But, um, like where, I guess we can start, you know, very general, like where a lot of the inspiration kind of come from to, uh, create this film. I'm, I'm sure it somewhat started with like, you know, your fascination, with uh maybe like slender man or any other kind of like viral uh legends that we've uh have pop up but um like wh- where did it kind of come from and then um yeah so you know it was it was actually right when uh right before i was filming uh follow with noah segan um mm-hmm. right before that someone had told me in a party about slender man and i had not heard of slender man before um and was telling me about creepypasta and everything. And I started looking up and, and reading these stories, reading about the stabbings that took place. And uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and about that time, it was pretty fresh news. The stabbings had just happened. And so I, I, I wrote the script pretty quickly, actually, the initial script. Um, and I, I, as I was doing it, I was reading about – I was reading about other cases too – Cases of belief, but also cases where where kids, especially young girls, cre- uh, commit acts of violence. There's one story that's always kind of shocked me. Um, it happened in England uh, when my mom was a young girl. Was a, um, another a girl about her same age uh, named Mary Bell. Um, she killed a toddler uh, and actually killed two toddlers. In one case, convinced a friend to help her. And, um, and I, I was shocked by that alone. But then this girl went into uh, uh, psychiatric care and, and was imprisoned for uh, many years. And then in her 20s was released. She changed her name. And uh, it was only when after having a family of her own and her own daughter, it was only when her daughter was about the same age that she was, around 10, when the, the tabloids knocked on her door and they revealed who she was, including to her daughter. So her daughter learned about her mother's past right then. And that struck me. That was so haunting of uh, not only that sort of strange time in our lives where, you know, we've got one foot in adult consequences and the other foot still believing in Santa Claus and what that rich time in our lives does, but also our relationship to that former part of our lives when we are supposedly adults. Um, So uh, I wanted to explore both of those in this. Yeah. Well, um, our bloody question this week is kind of tied to uh, a lot of the thoughts that I was having 
when watching this film is because I can remember being a child and uh, hanging around the neighbor kids and then uh, developing some sort of story. And this kind of taps into the terror of sort of like believing in something so much that it can consume you entirely. But yeah, you, you do such a good job of leaving it ambiguous or kind of playing with it to where uh, the reality and fantasy are a bit blurred. But so can you talk about like kind of navigating that, making sure that like maybe you leave enough information there that's kind of tangible and understanding, but enough that maybe we can kind of come up with our own theories about like where this story could go forth if it does go forth. Totally. You know, that, that was kind of cool conversations we had as we were thinking through the script and, and working with the fine folks at Blumhouse and talking about that and divide and conquer of just like, what are we saying about belief and, uh, and, and monsters and, and, um, uh, and those things that we, we want to believe in or we enjoy believing. I mean, that's it's kind of a wild, I find this at least really wild about humanity <laughs> that we, um, we have the ability to believe what we know is not true. Um, that, that's why, you know, we, we cry or scream in movies uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll see a character, you know, oh gosh, Meryl, Stre- Meryl Streep's crying. And oh my gosh, I'm feeling for her. She's in such a horrible situation. She's not, she's doing fine. You know, we know that intellectually, we know that she'll walk off of screen uh, or off of the camera and be fine. But we allow ourselves to believe it in order to enjoy the story. Uh, and I think that's kind of a part of us that runs really deep. We we allow ourselves to believe stuff, especially when we're younger, but I think throughout our lives. And and it can be something that enriches us or devastates us. You know, it, it, it has a, all kinds of power. Um, and I find that really, really fascinating. So for this one, we wanted to sort of not only, um, we kind of wanted to do this. We wanted to start with the question, like, is she real or is she not real? And then we wanted to get to the point where we're like, it doesn't matter. Um, like at some point it, it doesn't matter if the consequences of those who believe in this person are real or not. Uh, the way one person said it is, um, going back to the old crusades, the, the victim of the European crusaders, um, that victim didn't care if Jesus was God incarnate or not. It didn't change the slice of the sword. Um, so that was something we wanted to explore a little bit. And sometimes you believe in something enough, it's real. Yeah. What about the, the design of Mercy Black? Did, was that something that you kind of had in your mind or is that something that you... Uh, created through collaboration it was well it was a bit of both we went through a bunch of different uh different ideas at some point of like okay we we knew we wanted our our we we wanted our monster to be uh feminine we knew mercy was feminine we also knew she was made by kids she's made by these 12 year old girls out in the woods so is it was sort of this thing of like what does this kind of scarecrow creature look like a kind of a twisted arts and crafts project so you see on her, you know, friendship beads and paper mache is kind of a mask that it's something, well, like, like you were saying, there's something that you and the neighborhood kids would have made with what little ingredients you had uh, to put together. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of scarecrow that I used to make in the woods, you know, growing up uh, in East Texas. Um, I worked with uh, a creature designer, Gypsy Taylor, 
um, who is was so good. Uh, and and pretty early on, we were just sort of discussing how we wanted not only Mercy to look and feel, but also how we kind of wanted her to sound, how we wanted her to look like something that couldn't move on her own. She's obviously just rags and sticks um, and uh, and put that all together with with the sort of childishness to her. And we wanted her to look a little bit different than anything we'd seen before. Right, right. Hey, Brian, is there is there anything that you would like to ask before uh, we move on? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, there, I believe there is a scene in Mercy Black with, uh, I think, the characters Bryce and Sam. <laughs> you know yeah. what scene I'm talking about? Like the pretty I, suspenseful? I do. So the, what the was it? Scene. Yeah, <laughs> yes. What was it like on set during that day? And did everybody have fun or was it like real – like that, that ah. scene really got to me. <laughs> Dude. I'm, uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sure. So I, is, I think this is no sport. Can I, can I go ahead and describe a little bit about the scene? Sure. 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 <laughs> yeah. So if anyone's afraid of the spoiler on a scene, they can stop listening for a few minutes, but yeah, in, in the scene, um, Bryce, uh, who, who is the, the nephew of Marina, um, he, uh, he has his sort of frenemy, Sam coming over, kind of a bully. And, he is uh, a little bit inspired, it seems, by, by Mercy to play a, a game in which he sets Sam up in a chair, ties him up. Sam's willing because they're just playing, tapes him up with duct tape, still willing. Then he puts a noose around Sam's neck, Yep. sort of winds it over a board like a rafter in this little playhouse, ties the other end to the door, and then encourages Sam to scream for help so that when Bryce's mother pulls on the door – yanks the noose back um and the more she pulls the tighter the noose comes and yeah it's a tense little moment um uh, a little nasty a little nasty thing uh that day in filming we we basically spent um i think most all of that day filming that scene and dylan gage who plays sam uh was a real trooper of course it's fake duct tape and it's a the noose you know rope around his neck is being held. It's never, it's never attached to anything. It's being held by somebody, and it's there's no no danger. That it's all it's all movie magic and all. But at the same time, you are asking these kids to like, hey, we're going to pretend, but we're going to pretend something real scary now. And it, it's when these uh, kids show that they're being professionals, and and that was a constant thing for me of like seeing these scenes and I right, cut and t- checking with Dylan like, are you okay? How are you feeling? Um, and we did try to make sure that there was like a relaxed feel, plenty of breaks, and that there was a, a, a constant like, hey, this this is let's smile through this, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think it was it was a tense day of just like trying to make us through all these things and the stuff we were discussing. Um, but overall, I think both both Miles Emmons, who plays Bryce and, and Dylan, had a, had a really good day. Yeah, no, you know, it showed on film and like that scene, I was like on the edge of my seat and I thought to myself, like, you know, I I mean, I didn't do anything like that as a kid, but you know, you sometimes you're in a group of friends, you're like, I dare you to eat this or you're like, you're something like that. It's kind of the same principle of like, we're playing a game and then it goes really too far. But I I just loved how you did that. That was so good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Shall we, shall we, uh, shall we move on Preston? Yes, sir. We don't want to talk about torturing children anymore. Oh. I can talk about that all day long. <laughs> we could. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's there's quite a few scenes in the spoiler territory that I would love to talk about, but uh, 
I want to, I just, you know, in general, I just want to recommend it to everybody. It was my bloody recommendation last week. And I'm just glad that we could have you on to talk about it a little bit and then kind of get into uh, the bloody questions that we have this week and just see what recommendations you have. Oh, thanks, guys. Okay. All right. So uh, for those of you who don't know our bloody question, we ask uh, a fun horror question and we answer it and we bring it over to Reddit and uh, we read some of the fun answers on there. We've done quite uh, a few of uh, great questions which we've had like basically spawned writers rooms on uh, on reddit before so uh hopefully we'll have some good ones here but the question of today uh going along with mercy black is what scary entity still scares you from your childhood and why do they scare you so basically kind of in the vein of mercy black or Slender Man or Bloody Mary, is there some sort of scary monster entity or ghost from your childhood that scared you so bad that you are still frightened of them today? And if so, who are they, and why did they scare you so much? Oh, what a good question. So I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first, <laughs> set the stage. Uh, for me, it was this old man named Mr. Mercury who lived in the woods with an axe. If you stayed up too late, he would peer inside your window with his black eyes, hat, and axe, and come and get you. It still oh <laughs> yeah, it still scares me today, even though I stay up late, but uh, it just, uh, I, my uncle told me this story of Mr. Mercury, and it just, like, it, it, he lived out oh my in God. Land uh, up in Bonham, Texas, like very, very far north Texas on a bunch of land. And so there's like woods around and all sorts of stuff. And he would tell the story. And I was like, I, I was freaked out of everything. And so still today, Mr. Mercury still on the back of my mind. So uh, that that is uh, that is the scary entity that still scares me today. <laughs> Good stuff. What 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 about you, Preston? Preston, what what scary entity still scares you? Okay, so when I was a kid, um, I grew up in Aubrey, Texas, which is just this very country, small town uh, next to like Denton, about an hour away from Dallas. And uh, so all of our neighbors had a bunch of land. They had like hundreds of acres, and we're just surrounded by trees. We were next to the Trinity River, and Somebody, when I, I moved out there when I was eight years old, and so I became friends with my neighbors who were around the same age as, my, as myself, and there was a, a cougar that was loose out there in the woods, and so uh, we heard this from, like, our parents, and I think a lot of it was just to kind of scare us, and uh, so we would come home at night, so they'd be like, oh, that cougar's out there, and so we'd come home. And so uh, over time, we've developed our own stories about Cougar. And so it became a thing to where it, he became Cougar Man. Because uh, so what the story was is uh, he was being hunted and then uh, he got loose and killed the person who was hunting him and uh, adopted, slowly transformed into a man over time and would kill kids to keep uh them from becoming hateful men and so uh yeah we, oh, wow that's great yeah it's and, and so uh yeah it's just over time like my friend would come up with a piece he'd be like hey did you hear this happened 
And then I would come up with my own story. And like uh, right next to my house, there was this abandoned playhouse. And so I came up with this entire story about how there was kids that would play in there. And the cougar man came and killed them. And so it like spread around our neighborhood. And that, that's why I really liked Mercy Black, because it got into all that. Um, but it never like got to the point where, uh, you know, we put it out on the Internet and it would explode from there. But it was just something that was so kind of uh, unique to us in that area. And uh, it, it, it's something that I still find myself every once in a while having a nightmare about. Yeah. Um, and uh, developing more features, becoming more real to me over time. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so mine's not nearly as cool as yours, but um, it, when, I was a, when I was a kid, um, my best friend uh, went to uh, this, this camp, this church camp uh, called Camp Allen in Texas. And um, every now and then he'd say, you know, come and join my family. We're going for a weekend to this, to this camp. And uh, it was really nice, you know, East Texas camp and pine trees and, you know, shallow lakes and all that. But they always talked about Mad Pierre. So Mad Pierre was this um, supposedly like I guess he was a, a French uh, uh, hide hunter. You know, he was like back in the I don't know, back back when Texas was more frontier. And, and he, he was on this land and went a little crazy and he 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 didn't actually. I don't know if he ever killed anybody. It was just sort of like, oh, if you see rocks stacked on rocks, that was Mad Pierre. And there's like, there's a, a cabin. Like, oh, we can we're gonna hike all the way to Mad Pierre's cabin. He's still out there somewhere. And the funny thing is, is like, it was ridiculous. Why? I'm 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 am I really being scared of a of a Frenchman? <laughs> nothing against the French, but I was in the middle of East Texas. Uh, it, but but funny enough is like that idea, that idea that there was just a presence in the woods who didn't want you around and was able to not be seen, but was going to leave just enough evidence so you know that they were there. Uh, and by his nature, his name was crazy. He was mad. That is, that still gets me. So I'm working, walking in the woods and funny enough, like that silly story that I was able to laugh at it, when I'm walking in the woods and it's, uh, you know, a few minutes past dusk and the shadows are growing a little long, uh, suddenly not so funny. And I hear a little, a little French laughter, maybe smell, smell some cheese here, 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 a nice Molbeck shifting in a glass. And I know Mad Pierre's nearby. Wow. I like it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh, I, I, I bet there's some other, yeah, I bet there's people out there who, I'm not the only one who knew Mad Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Pierre, that needs to be a, a t shirt. All of our people need to be a t shirt. <laughs> I know. Cougar Man. Good. Yeah, Cougar Man. I like it. That could go in a different direction too, Cougar Man. <laughs> sure could. Yeah, I, I definitely see quite a few Cougar Man around Austin. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's bring it over to Reddit. Uh, we we got uh, we got quite a few comments here. Some of which I think don't under didn't understand fully what the question was. So some of them are, I guess, basically. Uh, movie characters that really scared them? Sure, sure. Um, but Moon Mom said, Kevin Bacon, I watched Hollow Man when I was probably six or seven. Bacon's real face scared me more than any aspect of the movie. Wow. 
<laughs> what every actor wants to hear. Right. <laughs> uh, Panda Pixie said, I was legitimately terrified by the Chupacabra. Uh, sure. Wide right four three said Cujo because it could happen in real life. Sure. Uh, uh, Rise six one eight said Zelda from Pet Cemetery. Google her, you'll see why. <laughs> and I think that's because that's like a family member, and I think most kids would probably be terrified of something like that if you you know in that situation. That's one thing that haunts a lot of people. Like Zelda from the original Pet Cemetery haunts people. That is like it's one of those things that like no one like they didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about it for years and years. It's only when you find them now, like, oh yeah, please don't ever mention the name Zelda. Right. They they won't they won't read biographies of Fitzgerald because they're afraid the name Zelda will pop up. <laughs> it's interesting. Um anti uh, and Antic Fire Zero Four said, "Growing up in a Latin home, we heard stories of La Lorna. Um, the legend goes that a woman long ago in Mexico drowned her children and now cries in the middle of the night looking for them." Uh, so I know Preston, did you see that movie? I did. I saw that South Park. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that um, that was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, Bookom said, "I got to be honest." I was terrified of Chucky. I never wanted any dolls because I was convinced they would come to life. <laughs> uh, several people had the same uh, answer, saying Samara from The Ring. Uh, one Devil One Fish said he had a drug-associated hallucination after getting his wisdom teeth out seven days after watching the movie, where he would close his eyes and try to sleep, but he started seeing the actual video, and when he opened them, he saw Samara standing over him. <laughs> Holy <laughs> so i thought that was actually uh pretty cool um yeah i mean i can relate to that so the scariest image to me in film is when you have a character horror character who has really long wet hair uh most recently in uh high life that's coming out by uh, a24 they have a character who has really long hair and the way that they shoot it just reminds me of being a teenager when those films came out and just being completely horrified that yeah yes very very yes um i'll read a couple makes me think i always think of tommy Wiseau in a shower (laughs) which is another similar thing that is horrifying that is pretty great uh comic spooks said my dad made up some tale about a headless tomahawk wielding indian who would appear at night looking for a new head to use as his own and once good old dad convinced somebody to knock on the window pretending to be the headless indian while he told the story (laughs) wow (laughs) well that's that's good fathering right there preston i hope you're doing your homework (laughs) yeah it's like writing it all down uh, I we're, we're gonna post the link to this uh, thread, but Black Philip Forever, <laughs> great mm. name, uh, goes into like uh, three paragraphs about a haunted house he grew up in, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but we'll post it, and you'll have to read about it because it's uh, quite frightening. Um, and then a couple last funny ones. Uh, Moana zero one said the Terminator metal skeleton still have nightmares to this day of it chasing me. And then sure. Cluster HVG said the gentleman from Buffy the Vampire Slayer 
caused me many sleepless nights as a kid. I'm still kind of afraid I'll wake up one day without a voice. So, oh gosh, I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, and if you uh, go to Reddit or if you visit BoomstickComics.com or listen to the podcast on any one of the outlets, please email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com and tell us what scary entity uh, really frightened you as a child and still scares you today. Cougar Man for the win. (laughs) 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 I like that. All right. Uh, Let's move on to Bloody Recommendations, where we... uh, Try to recommend and suggest uh, either a forgotten horror film or a new one. Uh, we just want you to see this horror movie, and then we were going to recommend it to you. Uh, so I got Preston. Lead us off with your bloody recommendation today. All right. So my bloody recommendation this week, I- I've mentioned in the past how I've become really into starting watching a lot of the older horror classics. And uh, one of the ones that I came across, uh, which is known for being uh, one of, or if not the best, Boris Karloff performance, but is this 1945 film called The Body Snatcher. Oh, I just reviewed that. Uh, It's up on high def, and it's such a good movie. Such a good movie. So uh, I, I honestly have never seen it, so I'm just trying to go to the past and try to see all the films that I really need to see. And so I'm glad this uh, came up uh, because Scream Factory just recently put out this really great edition of the film with, uh, you know, a a new 4k uh, scan, all these new features, uh, film historians kind of talking about it. And so I I like it when we get like a film historians uh, commentary because we can kind of get outside the film a little bit and get into the history of it all and it's just from all different angles and so this movie's super short it's like 77 minutes long and it's it's about uh boris karloff's character uh i believe his name is john gray he is this grave robber who will take bodies and give it to the school that's doing all these experiments on them and it comes to a point where he needs to start killing people so the bodies are more fresh. But um, we get into a lot of uh, deception, paranoia uh, with all the other characters that kind of surround his character. Um, we, we, we have Bella Lugosi. This is, this is one of the reasons why this film's so famous is that we, we get uh, them together again but uh, not playing their classic characters like the mummy or Frankenstein's monster or Dracula. Um, and the best scene that's in the film, or at least arguably is a scene where they're both featured together. And uh, Bella Lugosi plays this uh, janitor, janitor type of character who's kind of on to Boris's car- Boris Karloff's character and what he's been up to, what his intentions are. And it's an intense sequence where he's where uh, Bella Lugosi's character is blackmailing him, saying that you need to give me money or I'm going to uh, exploit you or make it known who you really are. And as somebody, you know, who's this movie's been out for 75 years, we've seen a lot of horror films since then can kind of gather where where that scene's going to go, but how they handle it. And even kind of going forward, how everything kind of concludes, it has this very Edgar Allan Poe kind of feel where uh, uh, a telltale heart uh, just 
one once we do something that's uh, truly uh, terrible, how it can kind of haunt us uh, even beyond uh, when somebody passes away. So just how they handle that whole situation and uh, how, I guess, even today, like you can watch a lot of black and white films and they can maybe not, they, you might have the attention span of a gnat today, but that one still has this kind of timeless feel where everything works, the, the way that the script moves along, the progression of the film still clicks and works. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a movie that I highly recommend, uh, The Body Snatcher, yeah, 1945. Yeah, so uh, look up uh, Scream Factory on shopfactory.com, and then you can find this uh, great release and, uh, and educate yourself on some of the early horror films. And so it's a great one to me. It is, it is. And, uh, Boris Karloff is so great in it. And unfortunately, Bela Lugosi's like kind of barely in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> But Karloff, he's man. sidelined, but he ma- he makes it that with that scene that I was talking about. I really feel like it it kind of makes up for that a little bit. But uh, yeah, he he never really got his due uh, outside of uh, playing Dracula. Yeah, Karloff just nails that movie though. He's so fun yeah. to watch. Just a, yeah. like a shit eating rat kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> just terrifying and and kind of right all the time. Like oh geez, yeah, like he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's called his, everyone his, out. His intellect, his intellect alone is just terrifying. Yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, I'll go on. I'll go second. Uh, my bloody recommendation of the week is a – it's more of a ridiculous one, but it's such a fun one that I've always remembered. And interestingly enough, this movie came out in 1985 and was directed by Roland Emmerich. Yes, the oh. guy who made Independence Day and 10,000 B.C. 2012. Uh, day after tomorrow. The Patriot. Yes. So the movie is called Making Contact, or otherwise known as Joey, and is just a crazy horror film uh, that I remember from my childhood and always kind of scaring me because it uh, it plot takes like kind of focuses on a very young boy named Joey who loses his dad and then he. Uh, he just has a very bad time coping with that, mostly because he tries to make contact with his dad, uh, but he is terrorized by a ventriloquist puppet dummy named Fletcher, who is actually a demon who is trying to summon other demons to kill him and everybody around him. Do y'all remember this movie? I do no, not. I do not. I was just looking it up, and I'm like, I no, I don't. Don't. So it's like a very famous poster of like this little kid looking in a closet and there's this terrifying dummy and electricity. But yes, I've seen that poster. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you got to find this movie and watch it because it goes into a lot of really crazy territory um, because like the boy actually must go into the spirit world to fight this demon and this like pup- the, the puppet manifestation that it has. Uh, and then also this young boy named Joey develops telekinesis as well, uh, and it just doesn't work well for him. But it's such a cool 80s film that's kind of been lost. Um, it's The original cut's about 100 minutes long, uh, but I think they release it in North America, and they cut out like 20 to 30 minutes of it. But I believe it was released through, uh, I want to say, I think it was Kino Lober, uh, 
they released a Blu-ray of it, and they added both cuts in. But this movie is so cool in that, like, is this stuff real? Is this um, is what the kid is actually seeing true? And you know, this demon trying to come back. So I I mentioned it because you know I thought of it as like, oh, it's like you know, a little you know, same area as maybe Mercy Black sort of thing, but. Uh, I I really like the movie. If you haven't seen it, try to find Making Contact. I think that's what it's being called these days. Uh, but yeah, try to find it. It is definitely it's a fun movie. And Roland Emmerich, the, one of his first movies. So before he went big budget, destroy, you know, the planet in most of his movies. Check out this little '80s horror film called Making Contact. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it is available through Kino Warber. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, pick that up. And then, um, so, Owen, you, so, you said yeah, you've got I, three films. I'm real excited. <laughs> I do have three, but I, I, I mean, I don't want to, because you guys do this all the time, so I don't want to, like, step on what you'll do in the future. I'll only say one. How about that? And, right. Unless you guys uh, have already done it. Okay, sounds good. I, yeah, I go can keep it. going, I, but I, I mean, I, I sort of I narrowed it down to three. <laughs> <laughs> so based um, on the conversation that we've been having, I'm curious to know which one you pick. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of funny. I think it kind of went back to just sort of thinking about like uh, that question that you asked about, like, oh, what is a scene that terrified you as a kid and stuck with you? Yep. So um, this is actually having my wife. My wife just remembered seeing a, a snap of a film uh, of a, a, a a woman strapped to a table and her face being painted kind of with white goop as this sort of weird masked figure was above her. And she was like, it terrified her. It's like the face is covered up and the mouth is covered up. She's like, what is this? It's so scary. And uh, I was talking to um, my friend, uh, screenwriter, Zach Carlson. And, um, and we were just sort of mentioned, Jody mentioned the scene, my wife and Zach immediately knew what it was like within, before she finished the sentence, she's like, Oh, you're talking about tourist trap. Uh, which <laughs> yes. is an amazing film. So um, my wife and I went to the video store, we went to Vulcan Video that night when we rented it, and I hadn't seen Tourist Trap. This is a couple of months ago that we did this, and Tourist Trap is so good. It's, it's from 1979, and it's from that sort of period that we were just talking about where um, there are these lower-budget horror films that were doing such cool stuff and making things in such a cool way. This is... There's no CGI in this. Um, there's not a lot of star power or anything like that. It's just so damn good. It's about uh, a group of teenagers or young folks who um, have some car trouble, of course, uh, and on this small dusty road, which you know used to have more traffic until the until the highway came in, and they found the this uh, what used to be a tourist trap um, run run by. Um, uh, None other than let's see. I'm trying to remember the guy who runs it. Oh yeah, it's Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors stars as the guy who runs this tourist trap, and it's got all these mannequins around, and the mannequins do creepy stuff. And you know they're trying to get help, but sure enough, help's not coming. And he's like gonna fix their jeep, but he's not really fixing their jeep. And creepy things happen, but not just creepy things happen. Like surprise, whack weirdness happens. Like this movie was not afraid to get really, really weird and to surprise and shock you all the time. It got a PG rating for some reason. I'm not really sure. And I think that kind of like, I think I kind of like disturbed its reputation among the horror fans. Um, people were like, oh, it's just sort of a PG 13 or PG version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's its own 
gem. Uh, it's it's really beautiful, and it's from like uh, producer uh, Charles Band. So like you know, uh, uh, it's in that realm of you know the same guy who was producer on Puppet the Master. Animator and Puppet Master. Uh, in fact, it's uh, was directed by uh, David uh, Schumler, who who yeah. did the um, did Puppet Master, a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, and uh, I just think it's great. I mean, I, I prefer it to Puppet Master. You know, I, you know, it's I just thought it was so good. Uh, and it's a real like it's a blast to watch. It's so fun. Uh, so I, I really highly recommend popping some popcorn and watching that one. That that is a great one because there's some really scary imagery in that movie. I rem- remember seeing it because like all like the mannequins and masks. They're just like, oh, if I saw that out, I would walk the exact opposite way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I mean, it's one of those things of like I love in a movie where something that should not move moves. Something that should not be animated is animated. Mm-hmm. You know, like and, and and that happens quite a bit in this movie. Mm, that makes me think. Uh, so one of the questions that we asked a, a little while ago, were like, what is that object or that thing that's inherently not scary at all that has, you know, from watching a movie is now scary to you? <laughs> like mannequins. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. That's a, that's a great one, man. Yeah. We cool. haven't talked about that one yet. Great. Good, good, good. Did you, did you want to do another one? Sure. All right. I'll give another one. This one, this one is also just, it's just so bonkers. Like it's just bonkers. And it's from, uh, I picked it up from vinegar syndrome. Uh, yeah. actually, again, this involves Zach Carlson. Zach, you know, Zach was a programmer at the Alamo for years and he just educated me a lot on like weird movies I never would have heard of. And there was a display of vinegar syndrome. Of course they do all kinds of, uh, DVD releases and Blu-ray releases of, some sometimes forgotten films uh, and uh, everything from exploitation to, you know, basically porn to wild uh, unknown classics or unknown to me. And he put in my hand uh, Night Train to Terror. Um, do you know this film? Um, not off the top of my head, no. This movie is ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Ridiculous. So it's it's an anthology movie, and I get a kick out of anthology horror movies anyway. Um, so basically, you're on a train. God and Satan are in a booth on this train that is possibly going towards eternity, and they're basically discussing different souls. With they're basically bargaining back and forth on these souls, and they have a lot of quasi theological conversations. Uh, on another part of the train, there's a rock musical going on. Uh, with a bunch of uh, teenagers singing this one 80s pop song over and over. Everyone's got something to do except you. And we keep going back and forth. And then we the, we cut to these movies, which is all made from the anthology stories, all made from three other movies that were not quite made. They basically took, took the bits of other movies and made them into this anthology. Um, some of them were attempted to be made but like I, I think later were completed but but not for this and so there's a lot of shots that just don't make sense the storylines all have like a narrator speaking over them to try and make it kind of comprehensible of what's going on but within all that within the sort of sloppiness and uh and the just sort of obvious like placing pieces together that don't really belong uh is are these wild moments and surprise gore moments and and some some ideas that really shock you like a kind of weird 
basically like a kind of a suicide club, like a, um, a bunch of people laying on the floor wrapped up in sleeping bags while a huge weight swings above them in a circle, the rope slowly cutting away purposely, knowing that that weight's going to fall on one of them. And that thrill invigorating them. But all, all these crazy ideas happen. Uh, and, and it makes so very little sense. Um, but in the end, it's God. God and the devil discussing all of us. And, uh, and so we all learn, like, learn a good lesson there. Oh, that sounds awesome. I must see this movie because I love anthology horror films too. You've, you've got to check this out. You will, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. That sounds great. It sounds like something that you would do on Master Pancake. It, it, yes, it could be, yes, uh, for sure. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Oh, that was good. Well, thank thank you again, Owen, for joining us today on my bloody podcast. I hope you had a good time, and I hope sometime in the future you'll join us again. I would ha- love to. This has been a blast, guys. Sweet. And for those of you, uh, if you got Netflix, we know you do. You've got to check out his new film, Owen's new film, Mercy Black. It's quite quite good. You're good. You're gonna love it. And tell our good listeners where they can find you online, Owen. Yeah, totally. You, you can find me, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, uh, Owen Edgerton, O-W-E-N-E-G-E-R-T-O-N. A lot of times, maybe too much, I'm on Twitter, and that's just Owen underscore Edgerton, uh, E-G-E-R-T-O-N. And yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and all those other places. Uh, I should be less. I should be more writing, less less Instagramming. That's uh, <laughs> should be my philosophy. And we can, we can yeah, find all uh, of your movies on uh, like iTunes and uh... yeah. Right now, let's see. I, I think all of them are on iTunes and out there. Um, Bloodfest is currently playing on Showtime and on 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 the Rooster Teeth uh, channel. Uh, for a little while, my first movie, Follow, is playing on Shutter, but I think it's getting to the end of its time on Shutter. Um, but uh, but you can catch it still on Shutter right now. I love Shutter. That's a place I love to go to to watch horror movies. Uh, and of course, Mercy Black is playing uh, on Netflix right now. Hello, everyone. We are in for another episode of After Dark, the after show, the afterbirth, as you will, to my bloody podcast. We hope you enjoyed having Owen Edgerton, our special guest, on talking about all things horror and his new film, Mercy Black. But Preston and I are here uh, for a little after show, um, quite a little bit. And we just want to bring up a couple of little bits of news that we read about uh, before we dive into... Um, our thoughts on the new Hellboy movie, which is what this After Dark is all about. But before that, uh, one little piece of news popped up, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, the classically trained actor Robert England, known mostly for playing Freddy Krueger in all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, has signed on to do a reality show uh, where he will be traveling to many haunted, haunted and spooky places. Kind of think of like... Um, Anthony Bourdain travel series, but Robert England going to like very scary places across the world. This sounds cool, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Definitely my kind of cup of tea. Yeah. Did, uh, did, did they release like what network it's going to be for? Uh, not that I remember reading, but I just know he signed on for that. And, uh, it's, you know, like a travel show and it's like, that sounds cool. And like any Robert England we can get really I'm in for. Yeah, because so. he, he, he likes to talk, 
And uh, but I'm always interested in what he has to say. So just the idea of him kind of like breaking down all these different places, haunted places or whatever he chooses to do sounds uh, like an awesome time. True that. Um, Bear McCrary, um, another piece of news, Bear McCrary, the composer who's done stuff for. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, the Walking Battle, Dead. Yeah, Walking Dead, Battlestar Galactica, recent TV series, Everly. Uh, he's doing. He's scoring the child, the new Child's Play uh, series, I believe, or movie. Um, the movie. The yep. movie. Yeah. So excellent. There. Exciting. Yeah, it, it, man, every piece of news that they are releasing for the Child's Play movie just has me more and more excited about its the, the possibilities of what it could be. Um, the trailer, which we talked about uh, many episodes ago. Uh, satisfied me and just you know last week we brought up that mark hamill is going to be voicing chucky and then with this guy behind it and even the video that they released to uh show like what the the theme's going to be um was really funny and creepy because you know you're like going you're just hearing the music and then it slowly shows him and he i think he like waves or something at the at the camera um uh he's just going to do a damn good bang up job. And so, um, yeah, I'm just getting more and more excited about child's play and I, I really hope it meets, uh, my expectations with it. Cause, uh, it, it's, I, I just can't imagine a, a, a remake or a rebirth, if you will, um, sounding any better than it does right now. Yes, I agree. Uh, and then, um, I guess if you're a fan of American Horror Story on FX, their next season is titled 1984. And I guess uh, maybe stealing it's, from Wonder Woman. Yeah, there you go, stealing from Wonder Woman. And maybe are they going to do like a Stranger Things type of thing with it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that that's all the craze these days. Is uh, go even what Owen was talking about, like you know, get getting into those 80s horror films. Uh, so, yeah, it could be good. I, I mean, I like the idea of exploring uh, that that part of uh, horror, the horror era um, or the horror timeline. Um, so I don't know. I ha- I've mentioned before I haven't really kept up with American Horror Story, but just there's like some themes that they can go with that have me excited. And I'll at least check out the first few episodes and just kind of see where it goes from there. So, um if it all uh, seems promising going forward, even though it's a very secretive show, uh, and if I hear that it's doing good things, then I will definitely check it out. Yep. There you go. Uh, another bit of news they are – looks like they're starting work on The Nun 2, which leave me out of it. <laughs> Um, unless they do something kind of like Annabelle Creation, which is almost like uh, – a, a remake of the first one or just like a do over. So if they do something like that, because you know, when we talked about the nun, uh, what is it like the, almost like around the first few episodes that we started talking, uh, or doing this show, um, they don't explore the nun really at all. We just kind of work within a lot of the horror ingredients that we kind of know, from other horror films and so but they don't really tap into like who she is where she comes comes from enough to make it interesting and so if they did something like that and then uh explored that a little bit further because i know we mentioned for the conjuring 2 when she pops up 
we'll watch that clip over and over versus watching the entire film, which I will defend like I did, but it is it does not stack whatsoever to The Conjuring 2. So it could work. I will give it – I'm optimistic. I'll give it uh, room to uh, wow me, but for right now, uh, I'm not super hopeful, especially after seeing The Curse of La Llorona. Um, they need to get back on, back on, uh, track to make this uh, universe, uh, more interesting. Agreed. Very much agree. Uh, my God. Uh, speaking of Annabelle, if you haven't watched the new trailer for Annabelle, the new, the third Annabelle movie called Annabelle comes home, go watch it. It is scary as fuck. I really enjoyed that trailer. Holy shit. It looks scary. Have you seen it? Yeah. Preston? <laughs> Yeah, I have seen the trailer. Um, it's it's so. It looks great. Yeah, they're so they they could set up the trailer as like they're at the Warrens' house with like that room with the Annabelle doll in and all the other creepy figures that you see. And so one of their daughters, the young daughter, has a friend come over and she like is told don't go in that fucking room. She goes into the room and she literally plays and touches everything. Like and a then, dumbass. Yeah, and then imagine. In each Conjuring movie, there's just, they just talk about one little thing in there, but it looks like Annabelle, like, is the conduit to bring all these evil demons and spirits out. And, it, and there's a scene in the trailer's like, "What did you touch?" And she goes, "Everything." Everything. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh God!" And the last part of the trailer is the young girl lifting up her blankets while she's under the covers, and the yeah. Annabelle doll is at her feet, looking at her. Oh God. Yeah, I showed the trailer to my wife uh, because I and I mentioned this before, like Annabelle Creation was, is a big movie for us because that is the movie that uh, got my like induced my wife's labor. Um, so uh, I wanted to show her this trailer because I was like, this looks good. This looks really good. And then we got to that part of the, the trailer at the very end. Uh, underneath the covers, and she's like, "Nope, not seeing it. <laughs> nope, I'm out. I'm yeah. out." But yeah, that that that's good. It was a good trailer. It didn't really show too much, but just kind of hinted like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be like everything all at once." I'm in. I'm happy. Yeah. So. Uh, somebody released this really hilarious tweet about uh, where Annabelle can kind of go from here. Like Annabelle goes to high school or Annabelle goes to college <laughs> or Annabelle at the Marigold hotel. That's exotic. <laughs> hotel. Just like all these different things. And I'm like, yes. Oh my going. God. Annabelle in space. <laughs> yes. All right. And my last little bit, I want to want to mention it because WrestleMania did happen last weekend. I watched seven and a half hours of WrestleMania alone. But before that, you know, I watched Raw, SmackDown, and Raw, SmackDown after WrestleMania, and NXT it was crazy. But there is a character uh, in WWE named Eric Rowan. He's a huge, like, 400-pound, 6'9 wrestler. And his character has mostly been kind of in the horror genre. And right now he isn't, but he pays homage to wrestling anyway. He pays homage to horror in WWE as much as he can. So at WrestleMania, his outfit consisted of a t-shirt, which was the iconic pose of Tom Savini kind of looking to the side with the wide eyes. You've probably seen it before. 
And then at the Raw after Mania, he wore a George Romero t-shirt that had uh, the words night, day, dawn, and land on it with a emblem of some of the posters on it. And I thought that was really cool. We're getting horror in wrestling any way we can. But I just wanted to mention that because I got super excited and I noticed it, Eric Rowan. I noticed it. I liked it. So there you go. Very cool. Um, my friend uh, who I work with brought up uh, Dave Batista, and so he did like this whole hype thing, and then he tripped inside the ring. Is that is, did I hear that right? Yes. Yeah, so at WrestleMania, leading up to WrestleMania, Batista came back, and he wanted his last match to be against Triple H, and it was a no holds barred match, meaning there's anything's legal, there's weapons, there's interferences, and all that. So. So, uh, interestingly enough, Batista came out, and he's getting in the ring, and he actually falls, like, trips over the steps, and then he tries to redo it, and he does it in slow motion. It was really funny. Uh, but then, before he got in the ring, he walks up to the front row behind the commentators, and who's there handing two gigantic posters of Batista's head? His uh, Stuber a partner, a film partner, Kumail. Kumail and his wife are standing there cheering Batista on. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Uh, and of course they show trailers to Stuber coming out, which is Batista and Kumail, uh, in an Uber comedy action thriller movie, uh, coming out soon. But Batista did have his match. He had a nose ring at the start of the match. And by the end of the match, triple H used a pair of needle nose pliers to rip that earring out his nose ring out it was quite fun but yes he did fall twice getting into the ring and i've seen memes of him like avenge the fallen like from the end game <laughs> poster and that that image of him falling through the ring was super funny the dude's 50 years old so and still looks unbelievably good yeah uh i mean he looks mean and he's uh he's having probably the he's at the peak of his career right now yeah, it's uh, he's doing well. So yes, yes, I'm, I'm glad you got brought up some Batista match. See, Preston likes wrestling. Whatever. I, I that's me like <laughs> hearing it from somebody else bringing it up. He I loves did not it. watch it. He loves it. All right, let's move right. on to uh, the main that's a movie that starts off with uh, a wrestling scene. Yeah, and then so I, I got was like, oh excited. man, Brian might like this movie. Yes. So <laughs> I really was excited. I, I actually, I, Preston and I sat very close together during this movie and I actually nudged him. I'm like, welcome to wrestling. Um, but <laughs> we're talking about Hellboy, the reboot of two, in 2019 uh, Hellboy, which is directed by Neil Marshall, who gave us amazing films prior to this one, such as um, The Descent and... Dog Soldiers and Doomsday and probably the two best episodes of Game of Thrones that have ever been directed. Uh, he did Hellboy. It my, my tagline was basically, it's a waste of time, money, and talent on every level. It is so bad and terrible. And probably reason being, which is coming out in the news now, there were 15 producers on this movie. And I think all of them wanted something different. So I think they were just all trying to sabotage Neil Marshall and his vision. And it showed completely here. Preston, I know you didn't like it because I know we talked after the movie. But holy shit, was this bad, man. Yeah, um, you know, 
we we've been talking about this movie since uh, we started seeing the trailers and I expressed my concern from the beginning because I didn't think that the first trailer looked very good. And so I was just like, I don't know, man. I uh, so I'm trying to like step outside my fandom of the Guillermo del Toro films because I love that franchise so much and what he brought to it and how personal it it was. Um, I, I had mentioned in my review of the new Hellboy that Hellboy is to uh, Guillermo del Toro what Guardians is to James Gunn. Like, there's he put so much of his own like personality and feelings and his creation into the film into those films that I wanted that third chapter so desperately. And it seems with del Toro that he only gets to do that movie that he really wants to do after a very successful film. So he was able to get the first one off the ground in 2004. And then after the success of Pan's Labyrinth, he was able to get the second chapter. And so I really thought that maybe after the success of the shape of water, that maybe we would get that third one, but it it didn't happen just because it just, it, it just, it was not meant to be. And uh, it, it, I think all this kind of happened very closely after after Shape of Water came out or like right before there's like this big campaign that Del Toro and Ron Perlman were doing together. It's like, let's complete it. Let's do let's finish it. And uh, instead, we're getting this reboot, uh, which is uh, very sad. But I I was still hopeful that the movie would be good just because I do like David Harbour a lot on Stranger Things and a couple of the other drama projects that he does that he did in the past, like Revolutionary Road. And and he was also good in Black Mass. And so I I thought, like, OK, yeah, let's let's see what he can do, even though I just don't believe that he would be able to bring that charm and that wit those good dad jokes and sell them in a believable way like Ron Perlman does. And I think he could have, if the material was good enough, he he might've been able to do it. But sadly, very early on, you begin to realize that this movie is not going to be very good. Um, I was very, I I was still hopeful at the top of the film because uh, it's like Ian McShane's character who plays like essentially his adoptive father, uh, very much like John Hurt in in Del Toro's films. And he has that great voice. And so he's providing some exposition and uh, this movie's rated R. And you Which know is, that within the first five seconds. Yeah, of the because he gives this, he delivers this really good f bomb, very well. I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's something along the lines of uh, it, it was a very dark time. It was fucking dark, or <laughs> yeah. something like that. And I was like, that's good. All right, um, maybe this is going to be one of those rated R films where it actually earns that R rating and doesn't feel uh, like it's doing it so needlessly and being needlessly violent and uh, throwing in those cuss words. But that's exactly what it ended up being. Sadly, yes. is one of those movies where it's like written by a 12 year old and is like a movie for a 12 year old that is like one of those movies that when I was 12 or younger that I would sneak into because it's rated R and be like, Oh my God, this is great. This yes. is so awesome. And, and then anybody that's older uh, would be like, this is dumb. This yeah. is uh, this is a child's movie with F bombs and violence thrown into it. And that's what it is. Uh, sadly, um, you do not care one bit 
about anybody in this movie, including Hellboy. Um, it's very uh, plot heavy. Um, it, it's almost like they were so afraid that we were going to compare it to the original that they uh, and, and we're starting up and we don't exactly have all those characters. We don't have that character camaraderie yet. We don't have those great uh, di- that great character dynamic, uh, just that group relationship yet. And so they have to busy it up with story. So there's so many scenes of them explaining things to us versus actually showing us uh, that you just don't give a damn. You don't give a damn about uh, anything of what's going on. What it, like when a character pops up, I'm like, OK, uh, like I don't care about you. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very unfortunate. It, it was super unfortunate. So, I mean, the general gist of this movie is you see Hellboy and then there's a there is a witch named Nemu the Blood Queen who's kind of similar to like Lady in the Water type of thing. Um he's cut, she's been chopped up many many years ago and her body parts have been mailed all over the place. Uh she's still alive and they're trying to reconnect her so she can raise hell, raise demons from hell and kill the world. So that's where the BPRD comes in and Hellboy and it's just like so what del toro had in his films you had character charm you you cared about everybody you had that magic and wonder of this different world here it's like if michael bay made this movie but with a shitty script i mean all of michael bay movies are shitty mostly but i mean the action sequences are really bad and the the dialogue is even terrible and it's just like hellboy himself supposed to be lovable like i talk about this in the review of like Hellboy's character is like somebody who can kill monsters, stand face-to-face with a demon and be a badass, but then you could also have him come home and meet your family and kids and him be gentle. This was not that Hellboy. This Hellboy was a drunken buffoon and just kind of an asshole overall. You don't want to know the guy. And that was the char- that was like the gist of every character in the movie, even the two his two sidekicks being a were-panther who would turn into a panther when he would get angry much like the Hulk and then a young girl who had the powers to talk to the dead, which was absolutely awful too. It just, it was just, it was poorly done. And you could see if you've seen Neil Marshall's other movies, it seems like he was allowed to do what he wanted to do. And he has a great vision And here having 15 producers trying to step in and fuck you up um, and reading all of these, news articles that have come out today literally about the you know turbulence during the production it seemed like uh neil didn't have a way to go here and it was just a bunch of execs trying to step in and thwart him on every case and it's just very upsetting because this could have been a great movie but it really like preston said is made for a 12 year old who just wants to see you know, blood and guts all over Immature the scene. Stuff. Yeah. Needless shit. Yes. Uh, uh, just stuff you, does not need to be shown in a movie. I mean, it, it, it just happens constantly. And the, the best part of the movie, I could say, there's a character who's on screen for like 20 seconds through the whole movie. And his name is Lobster Johnson being played by the great Thomas Hayden Church, who is kind of like a... The Captain America character, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's so, and, and, and and we get like a like a Hellboy type of uh, what's his name agent uh, the Clark 
Clark Gregg's character from the Avengers? Oh yes. Like, um, oh, why am I blanking right now? Coulson. Yeah, Coulson. Coulson. Yeah. So he, that it reminded me of that, and so like I wanted more of that. I wanted that because that brought at least a little bit of charm into the film, which is just so dry of it throughout. And uh, th- there's another moment of horror towards the end where these hell creatures come out. You see it in the trailer. And the way that they just kill people is just so vicious and dark. And I was like, oh, man, they got some ideas going here. But, you, you know, you, you don't connect with it because, uh, because they it don't happens ex- out of nowhere and there's no yeah. context. And it's like, oh, OK, like for the whole movie, you do not see a shot of a city or people going to work until this scene. You're just like, well, who cares? Just some big ass, you know, building sized demons ripping people apart you know it just it, it it's just like the blood spurting out constantly and it's like oh god what's happening yeah and then the yeah, cgi I, in this movie ooh, ooh, oh yeah ooh. there's gonna be there, after this movie comes out there's sure gonna be people who take some pictures of it in the theater especially one in particular <laughs> towards the end of the film because it's meant to be like this very uh emotional part of the film and you can't get into it because of the the special effects being so distractingly bad uh i mean there's a lot of different areas of the film that are distractingly bad uh outside of just the special effects with like the way that the the camera work is um the music the score yeah the score of the film which uh uh, Courtney Howard, who writes for Fresh Fiction uh, with me, uh, she had this great description of saying that it's like throwing a uh, heavy metal guitar into a washer machine or something like that. Uh, it's it's very disastrous. And it, it, it pains me to say all this just because I really like the Hellboy films and uh, the the possibilities of what it could be and where they could go and um, and I, I really wanted this movie to succeed, but, uh, I, you know, the great thing is, is that at least Gail, Guillermo del Toro got to make two of them. Um, I'm, I'm still hopeful that maybe down the line, cause anything could happen. They could make that, that third film and do it, do it in like a, like a dark Knight rises kind of way where it's supposed to take like X amount of years after and like kind of fill in the gap. Um, even though Ron Perlman's getting older, all these other characters are getting older, but I'm still hopeful that maybe they could still explore it, but you, you never know. It's, it could just be definitively dead, I mean, but, it uh, makes sense to do that. Like, I, like you said, after this successful movie, he had Oscar winning the shape of water, have him go back to Hellboy three. There is such a huge fan base for it now. And if he went back to that, Oh my goodness. And like, even if he, had to finance it himself. It worked for um, for M Night. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, um, I doubt it will. It, 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 it'll happen just because uh, I, I'm sure at this point Del Toro has put it behind him and is on to other things. But because there's, and you never know with Del Toro, he signs on for so many projects and they never actually happen. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to say you never know, but I, I doubt it will ever happen. And so we can at least hold on to those films. Um, we highly suggest not going out to the theater to spend money to, uh, see this film. Uh, if you're just that curious, 
uh, maybe check it out when it's on video, but because right now uh, critics are destroying it, and I imagine audiences are too. I really don't think this movie is going to make more than like $15 million at the box office because it's also just going to be uh, drowned by movies that are currently out and uh, with uh, Avengers in-game going to just dominate the box office. Probably just totally. I really think it's going to be the biggest movie of all time. Um, it's just, it's going to have no life. It's going to go back to the seventh circle of hell. It really will. Like my, my, my last sentence of my review said, do yourself a favor and don't subject yourself to this over two hour spectacle of nastiness. (laughs) Yeah. It's long and it's bad. Even the makeup job on Hellboy himself is terrible in this. It's just, it's just not a good I feel movie. like it was falling off at times. So yes. There's like a scene where he's like shaving his horns like they do in uh, Del Toro's films and his dad's doing it. And he's like, let me do it. And I was like, you didn't even do anything. Um, and they're like trying to move it. And I, I could feel like the, the prosthetic attached to him almost about to fall off um so yeah there's it's it just it shows how disastrous it is just shows every aspect of the film yep so that is our after dark episode for my bloody podcast uh thank you for joining us we are on boomstickcomics.com and freshfiction.tv we're on itunes stitcher radio google play all of that good stuff um, Preston can be found all over them internets at yeah you mentioned it freshfiction.tv I got my written review of Hellboy up on there I also reviewed another horror film uh, called The Silence um, which uh, is being labeled as the Quiet Place knockoff because you can watch the trailer and be like oh Okay, we're dealing with a family and on the brink of the the apocalypse and it involves these creatures that kill you if you make a sound. Um, But I, you know, did a bunch of research into the film and uh, it's based on a book came out in 2015. So it came out before Uh, Quiet Place even uh, hit the screen. It's just Quiet Place won the race to the screen, so it's it's just sad that, that that's going to happen. But Quiet Place is a much better film than this. But uh, The Silence, which is also on Netflix along with Mercy Black, uh, just came out uh, yesterday, so Wednesday, April tenth. It's it's out, so uh, you can watch it. Uh, I give it a soft recommendation. Um, I think there is some good stuff in it. Um, even though so much of it is highly comparable to A Quiet Place or Quiet Place taken from that film, uh, however you want to see it. Um, but it doesn't quite have that subtlety and that mystery that Quiet Place has, but it still has those uh, intense moments of a family trying to fight their way to survive and uh, make sense of the world uh, that's drastically changed. So. Uh, it's got Stanley Tucci in it. It's got some of the characters from the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So, uh, maybe, maybe check that out. Um, and so you can also find me on the Ditton record chronicle, DittonRC.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Preston Barta, B-A-R-T-A. And, uh, you can follow my bloody podcast on Instagram and uh at money at my bloody podcast and we're also now on twitter um so i'm trying my best to keep up with uh posting things and everything like that it's tough but uh we we appreciate you if you uh 
tune in each week to listen to us. And um, we're very grateful that Owen Edgerton was on our episode this week and uh, got to talk about Mercy Black. So, yeah, uh, just just happy, just very happy with uh, how things are going. Yes, correct. And uh, we'll be back next week with more good horror on my bloody podcast. Should we go ahead and just say what it is? Say it. Say it loud. Yes. So, you know, very uh, many episodes ago, we talked to the guys from Mondo. And uh, so we're going to be uh, discussing one of their latest releases, which is uh, the Prince of Darkness vinyl. So we're going to be diving deep into that record and then also going to be talking about Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's uh, Prince of Darkness uh, as well. So uh, just uh, tune in next week where we'll be uh, hitting it from every angle of that film. I can't wait. It's going to be good, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Preston, and thank Thank you, you, Owen.